Nightlife with Philip Clark on ABC Radio. And joining us is Eric Jensen, who's the editor-in-chief of The Saturday Paper. Eric, good evening and welcome to Nightlife. Thanks, Phil. Good to be here. Great to have you with us too. Well, the news has leaked all over the place, but of course it'll be formally announced, we understand, uh, around the early hour or the early morning tomorrow in San Diego, where the Prime Minister is with Joe Biden and the, the US President and the United Kingdom's Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, and the uh, they'll announce the details of this August Defence Pact, which will involve uh, the kinds of nuclear submarines that Australia is apparently going to acquire. Uh, it's a it's a huge it's a huge and detailed com- uh, and complex defence acquisition, probably the the biggest in Australian history, isn't it, Eric? I think at two hundred billion dollars, you'd have to, you'd have to hope so. Um, and and yes, huge and complex. I guess what we'll find out tomorrow morning is who's going to build the boats and uh, when they're promised to arrive, although um, at least for the latter, um, given our history of military um, acquisitions, particularly submarines, there's every chance it'll run way beyond the 2040s when we expect them to be promised. Yeah, look, that's right. I mean, at this stage, of course, and we mustn't jump the gun, I know, but it's it's a bit... Uh, the, det- the details are not entirely clear, are they? It seems that what's to be announced is a plan for Australia to acquire in the interim, some American Virginia-class submarines. They may even be second-hand, uh, although that's probably being disparaging about these complex machines. But uh, And then Australia is to build three to five of these joint, uh, jointly designed nuclear power submarines that will be built in the UK, although share American weaponry. Mm. I mean, is there, a, is there a sense that Australia is biting off more than it can chew here, do you think? It's interesting. At the weekend, Scott Morrison uh, gave an interview to the News Corp papers where he was um, especially boastful about uh, putting this plan together and just how secretive he had been while he did it um, at the expense of a broader advice from uh, from the departments involved, um, you know, claiming it was the biggest secret since World War Two, which I didn't know was a secret. I think mm. uh, I think we knew about World War Two. Um, but also, you know, also invoking 007, there's, a, there's a, um, a whole amount of kind of excitement around these submarines. And yet many people with experience of military acquisition um, and close watches of what we do with our military are very sceptical about whether these are the right boats to buy, whether we need military, uh, whether we need nuclear powered submarines or if we need smaller craft. Um, and certainly whether given the time it will take for them actually to be built, um, the, the the gap in um, hardware might might be something that we need to really worry about. Mm. It's the long term nature of the whole thing too. Uh, I mean, none of this is happening at all. I mean, even the Virginia class submarines until after twenty thirty, uh, yeah. and then there does seem some scepticism that, that they'd arrive quickly anyway, given the capacity of the US to to build them. And then, of course, there is the completely unknown time horizon of the the new submarine which doesn't exist yet yeah and there's a problem with the fact that we might also be buying obsolescence i mean um notwithstanding the fact that there are some um observers who suggest any conflict with china would come well before 2040 um you know there's there's a suggestion that one of the key benefits of a, a nuclear powered submarine which is its capacity to remain under the surface and undetected um might evaporate 
by the time uh, you know more more powerful uh, drones and other things might be picking up these boats by the time we build them. Um, I mean, there are, there are other benefit from these submarines is they can launch missiles against land targets. Um, the problem there with these hugely expensive boats is once they've fired that missile, they're almost immediately identified and and would expect to be attacked um, in in re- retaliation. Yeah, the, there is the. Co- I mean, look, being positive about the the matter. <laughs> Sorry, I, it might sound like I'm down on these submarines, Phil. Yeah, it's only I mean, because, because I am. <laughs> well, 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 maybe you should tell us why, because it will it will actually it will actually give Australia extraordinary capacity uh, over the longer term. Uh, in fact, a capacity which very few countries in the world possess. True, and and as part of the trade off of that capacity, we wouldn't really be able to operate or service the boats ourselves. Um, they were chosen in secret without broad tender, um, and we were told that that was for security reasons, um, but was also for the, you know, for the sake of an announceable. Um, the, the whole scheme is troublingly secret and was inherited by the Albanese government who have decided to stick with it. And you look at some of our other you know, major acquisitions, the Collin-class submarine, for instance, which was uh, really a, a fast from top to bottom, and we seem um, almost predestined to repeat that. I although, although that's being unfair, isn't it? The Collins class submarine, when it actually arrived and was put into service, has proven to be a very good submarine. There's a fair few caveats, though, preceding it proving to be a good submarine, and it, and it's you know uh, we're now replacing um, a submarine that came way too late, way over budget, and was ultimately um, you know. A good, a good submarine. A good submarine. A good submarine. If indeed we need submarines of this kind. I mean, that's the other thing is that people like Hugh White, um, close observers and, and previous previously employed in defence, um, suggest that given uh, the approaches between ourselves and China, much smaller, faster boats would be much more effective. Hmm. Anyway, we're not defence experts, I suppose, but the, uh, well, there is the. I mean, look, the cost of the deal. Can Australia actually afford this? We're talking about a deal worth some. Well, they're talking about something like two hundred billion dollars. Yes, I mean, there's even fund, uh, even suggestion in the language that Australia is being warned about the cost of this. You could fund the entire ABC for two centuries in exchange for five boats, um, and it does cause you to wonder about um, priorities, I suppose. Yeah, uh, there, I mean, it does shift. It does. It does. It does outline, though, or or it does signal, though, a big shift in American policy too, doesn't it? I mean, here is for the first time they're sharing quite secret technology mm. uh, with Australia at the other end of the world. I mean, this is this really does bring Australia very much uh, into the club, doesn't it? Well, I mean. Trading what for that? It's not as if America was, um, you know, very sceptical of Australia before this acquisition. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure that Australia is a safer place for having these boats necessarily. Mm. Anyway, well, we, as I say, well, we will get the details of, uh, of the deal uh, tomorrow morning, uh, our time. Look, back on to the other big story, which uh, uh, we've been covering a lot here on the program, which is the RoboDebt Royal Commission. It wrapped up last Friday after almost six months of evidence Mm. and the final report's due in the middle of the year, June, by uh, Commissioner Catherine Holmes. What happens next? 
I mean, that is really up to Catherine Holmes at this point. The commission has heard the most extraordinary evidence. Um, I think Holmes has been an incredible um, commissioner. She has consistently cut to the absolute chase um, with witnesses. She's exposed a scheme that really um, must be one of, if not the greatest, um, a mistreatment of the public by its government ever recorded in Australia. Um, and I think obviously we're now watching for her report to see whether or not um, an offence such as the you know, malfeasance in public office, um, whether she might be recommending any charges against any of the people who've, who've come before the commission. The other bigger thing about this will be her recommendations that go to questions of independence for the public service, because I think more than anything, this commission has showed us that ministers failed, that departments failed, that the ombudsman failed, and that all of these failures related to a public service too keen to do the work of the government that it was serving. Yeah, well, that's entirely right. How do you judge the impact of this? I mean, for those of us who have been following it, it's been appalling. And I know here in the program we've often opened the lines to those who were affected mm. by this scheme. I mean, people lost their lives over this scheme. It's... You know, apart from the uh, the uh, the other great wave of human misery that it uh, that it did uh, cause, people actually mm. took their own lives over over, over this scheme. Uh, I, I know those people are highly engaged with it. Do you think people at large are engaged with it? I, I hope so, because I think you know this royal commission is not really just about welfare and welfare recipients. This royal commission is about how when unchecked, the appalling cynicism of a government can allow that government to abuse the most vulnerable people for the sake of trying to raise budget line items. Hmm. It, it's, it's there, I think there is no way to overstate just how appalling the evidence has been and how deeply troubled as a country we should be by what this commission is hearing. And I know there has been criticism um, of, of some of the press for failing to cover it in depth and in detail. And I think that criticism is reasonable. But I do hope that once these findings are made, that there is a serious attempt broadly across the media to engage with what the Commission heard and, and to, to help people to understand that, um, that unless checked, governments won't necessarily serve us. Mm. Yes, you're talking about the failure of the Murdoch press generally to 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 provide much coverage uh, of this. I mean, I, th I think I think that failure probably goes more broadly than just the Murdoch press. Um, there there have been very few outlets in this country who have covered every day of the hearings, hmm. and that to me is shocking when you consider the magnitude of what's being heard. Yeah, it's um, it's hard as as you say to ignore what's been what's been unveiled, what's been revealed at the Rabbit at Royal Commission. The issue is, of course, what happens now in terms of accountability, mm. and well, the, the excuse me, the Royal Commission, of course, can't uh, prosecute people. No. It can it can recommend prosecution or recommend that recommend that charges be laid, although it's not clear uh, what charges might be laid, uh, yeah. uh, either against I, the I, either against the ministers responsible or the public servants. Is it? There is an offence of malfeasance in public office and the Commission has, I think, been diligently building a case that they might um, mount against individuals who have given evidence. And I obviously don't want to 
preempt the Commission's finding there. Some of the rest of what we've heard goes to the ethics of public office, uh-huh. and there there are not criminal or civil offences. No, there are there yet. are no actual offences here, are there? No. But there there are some very important principles about independence that a commission like this can restate, and recommendations that can be made about the functioning of the public service, so that programs like this cannot again run. Mm. And I, and and that you know. As this program has been detailed, what what we have heard is nothing short of a conspiracy to avoid giving frank advice, to conceal legal advice that has been prepared, or to manipulate it so as to continue the running of the scheme. And this has all been possible simply because the ministers at the very head of the scheme refused to and didn't want to legislate. They hoped to do all of this without legislating, and so the actual mechanisms by which the scheme was functioning were never taken to the parliament. Mm. And and it's things like this that I think the commissioner could take an interest in that go beyond the criminal and civil factors. Although what they can do about that and who's who's going to be held accountable is, is, is not clear, isn't it? I mean, Mr Tudge, Alan Tudge, of course, is no longer in parliament. He's resigned. Uh, um, uh, Stuart Roberts is still there. Christian Porter, the attorney, former attorney general, is no longer... In Parliament, either uh, the short answer is that nothing will happen to these politicians, isn't it? Well, I'm not sure that punishing these politicians is the important thing here. I think what is important is is to recommend certain changes that might better enshrine the independence of these departments, mm. um, create offences that we now know should exist in civil law um, with regards to some of um, some of the appalling abuses that this scheme allowed and that were allowed by individuals um, to make people in public office more accountable. I mean, these are the kind of things that the commissioner could recommend and I would suggest should recommend. Mm. Don't you think that people at large who are affected by this might say, well, yes, but hang on, you know, I want I want those public servants who knew this scheme was not legal and they were, mm. there. and we know that from the Royal Commission, that there were mm. such people. They, oh, look, they knew this scheme was not legal and yet hid that from the minister. So I want them, uh, I want them held to account. And that's an entire, entirely reasonable position to hold. And, I, and I, as I say, some of these people may well be recommended uh, for charges relating to malfeasance in public office. Mm. Um, and I simply don't want to try to preempt whether or not those recommendations would be made. But I think there are other in some ways, bigger and more important things that the Commission can still do. Mm. Anyway, let's hope, as you say, that some long-term good comes of this. And oh, But also, I think accountability in that sense is also important. We shall see. Uh, but it has it has been, as you say, one of the sorriest tales of the misuse of uh, executive power that we've seen in this country. And the, the positive light on it is just to think how terrifically well the commission has been conducted. Mm. I mean, what, one um, creditable aspect of this is that we have seen the most diligent and sincere attempt to grapple with the scheme that you could imagine. And, you know, uh, if, if I want to try to feel happy about something, it's that we have um, uh, mechanisms and people in this country willing to make sure that that mm. kind of misconduct is brought to light. Mm. All right, Eric, good to talk. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks, Bill. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.